God is with us. Yes. Yes. God is with us. Yes, he is. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I did make the great escape. <laughs> it was pretty challenging to get here. But I knew I must come. I knew I must come. So we followed the Holy Ghost. And he's with us today and he'll be with you. And I believe that there'll be some situations that'll change. There'll be some things broken in the room of the Spirit. Not, not over God, but over the devil. Because there's demons that's in operation against this church. Against you as individuals. And we're not here to glorify the devil. But the problem has arisen in the church that we act like he doesn't exist. And he does exist. And because we have not paid enough attention to how he operates, he has easily slipped in in the church world, especially in the United States of America, and tried to take over, you know, and, and rule our country. And of course, in here, Canada, the same way, he tries to rule this nation. But we've got authority over him. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you today that you make my tongue as a pen of a ready writer. That I will speak as the very oracles of God and minister with the ability only which you can give. Father, I know it's not enticing words of man's wisdom that's going to change anything. But it's through demonstrations of your spirit, your power, and your anointing that will bring change in this physical, material world. So we thank you as we reverently and humbly look into your word and follow the Holy Ghost, that the word will give us light and revelation and the Holy Ghost will bring us to that place that we need to be so that we'll walk in that place of supernatural victory. And Father, we give you the glory and honor for it. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. amen. You may be seated. It's good I had to come check on you. And make sure all is well. It's good to be here with your pastors. We're still working on Pastor Craig. You know, it's, it's just... <laughs> but, uh, you know, the way, I, way I tell the, the way I tell the Lord is this. I say, Lord, don't give up on me. I said, I'm going to make it after a while. Amen. <laughs> you know, it's, it's always good to walk in a place of humility. Now, that doesn't mean that you're a doormat, you know what I mean, or anything like that. Or you look at yourself as a nobody. I'm not talking about that. But when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He can take you and put you in a position in the spirit that you need to be in. And so that's what we depend on. And that's what we thank God for. One of the things that the Lord began to talk to me about before I came here, talked to me about it in the United States, I hadn't really shared anything about it much at all. In fact, I hadn't shared anything about it until I come here because I didn't believe it was time for it yet. But let me start out like this. <clears throat> How many of you know that I spent a little over 10 years of my life behind prison bars? <laughs> and the ones that don't know, lock the doors, boys. <laughs> And on my third escape from prison, I had a supernatural encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. On Seawall Boulevard in Galveston, Texas, the first week of May of 1982, I had escaped three times. Somebody asked me, I had a pastor ask me, I think one time in Michigan, 
when I was preaching years and years ago. He said, Brother Randy, why'd you escape three times? I said, I didn't get it right the first time. <laughs> I didn't get it right the second time because I got caught. But the third time I got away. At least I thought I did. And I was going to commit a crime. Me and two other people were going to commit a crime the first week of May of 1982. I'd been on escape for almost a year, 11 months and some days. And we were going to commit robbery. That's what I was in prison, had been in prison for, among other things. And I'm not saying this to glory in my past. I'm trying to bring you somewhere. So just, just stay with us here about how I'm, and reason I'm going to share some of the things that I share with you is because God told me to back there. And I laid a lot of these things on the shelf because the church as a whole didn't want to accept it at the time. But now it's come to the point that the church must accept it because there's no other hope for the church except to deal with these issues about demonic beings and evil spirits. Because that's what's causing a lot of these problems that we have uh, in our nation and then, of course, this nation and, and even in this church. Oh, you're saying amen now. You might not be in a minute. So... But uh, evil spirits influencing people negatively, and that's what happened to me. I'd, I'd come up in church, in a Pentecostal church. I come up in a church where at that time you didn't have health clubs or workout clubs because you didn't need them. Every time you went to church, you got a cardiovascular workout. Because <laughs> everybody danced, run, shouted, jumped, you know, praise God. In fact... They thought that if you didn't jump, you know, about three or four feet and hop over the pews and all that stuff, that God wasn't in the building. In fact, it went so far that it actually got in the flesh. Because people begin to demonstrate things that was the flesh instead of the Holy Ghost. Now, there is a move of God along those lines. I've ran chairs. I've stood up in chairs. I've been under the anointing, not even know what I was doing, and stand up preaching in a chair. Not real long ago, I remember I was in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And before I knew it, I was standing in a chair preaching. And I, and I thought, well, how did I get here? <laughs> so you see, that wasn't my intention. I, di I didn't think about it. But God was doing st something at that time. So anyway, on my third escape, I'm there and I'm up to no good. I was raised in the Pentecostal church, you know, back as a boy. In the church where you actually had to, mama used to take us. We had wooden pews, wooden benches, you know, in there. And what mama would do is take us little kids and put us under the bench, you know, and lay us down there on a little pallet because it was the only safe place in the church. Because <laughs> <laughs> you might get run over. So I knew about God as a, a, a young boy, as a child coming up. I knew about God. I'm not saying I understood all of it. And looking back, I don't think they understood it all either. But uh, I knew about God. And I remember I had a tender heart for God. You know, and this, this is what happens sometimes. I had a tender heart for God because Mama used to say this to me. My mother, she's still kicking. She's 85, be 86 in December. And a Pentecostal lady. But she, she used to say this. She said, you was the most tender-heartedest child that I had. And I turned out to be the worst. <laughs> because I discovered as we went on 
uh, in my life and as I grew up in my life, sometimes being tenderhearted can go to the extreme the wrong way. And you can become a pushover even for the devil. He looks for weak personalities that he can influence. And you have to be strong to tell him, no, you're not going to dominate me. And then, of course, as a child, as a young youth coming up, I didn't understand all this, you know. And my parents didn't understand it all or anything. And so, and I'm not putting them down, but we just didn't have the knowledge that we do today. And they'd done everything they knew to do. So by the time I'm in my late teens, I'm yielded to the devil 100%. I became an easy target for evil spirits, and I begin to be influenced by them. And then the next thing you know, I begin to do things that I should not do as a human being. Not, not, not just a churchgoer, but as a human being. By committing crimes and being cruel to other people and doing things wrong, saying things wrong, saying things wrong to my parents, saying things wrong to those around me, uh, laughing about the Bible, laughing about Jesus, you know, all those kind of things. I used to have those, and I didn't realize what was going on inside of me. But by the time, again, that I'd reached into my late teens, I was totally taken over, yielding to. I'm not saying I was demon-possessed at that time, but taken over by evil spirits. And whatever come along, I began to yield to that. And that's how I wound up in prison. Now, let's, let's balance that out. I'm not blaming everything that happened in my life on the devil. Now, there was a comedian in the United States. I don't know if you ever knew of this comedian up here or not, but his name was Flip Wilson. Anybody ever heard of Flip Wilson? What was a statement that he made popular? The devil made me do it. Well, a lot of people think that's the scripture in the Bible, but it's not. It's out of Flip Wilson's comedy skit. But you know, he used to dress up as Geraldine. Y'all remember that? And he'd say, the devil made me do it. And of course, we, we get to thinking and you think about it, does the devil have the authority to make me do something that I don't want to do? Absolutely not. Now, he does have the ability to entice me, to tempt me, to try to get me to do something I don't want to do. But ultimately, it's up to me as to the decision and choice that I make. And it's according to how weak you are in the spirit as to what you do. And that's why the Bible says, build yourself up on the most holy faith praying in the Holy Ghost, yes, you know, because you got to, you got to be strong in the Lord. And so anyway, I was uh, weak in the spirit. You could say I wasn't walking with God. And so I got so far away from God that there would be times in this, this uh, lifestyle that I was in that actually demons, demons, demonic evil spirits I would see into the realm of the Spirit. Now, I wasn't walking with God or nothing. This is not the gifts of the Spirit now. 
But I would see these things. I remember one time seeing one come into the window in the bedroom where I was at. I was drugged up, drunked up, all this kind of stuff. And this thing came in and I knew that it wanted to totally possess me. And I was in a two-story building up high and it wanted me to jump out of this window and kill myself on the concrete below. I knew that. Now that sounds strange to you. But if you have never lived that lifestyle, and I pray you have it, but if you ever live that lifestyle, you may know what I'm talking about. In other words, what happens is when you start yielding to the devil a little bit, a lot of his friends will come around. So anyway, here I am in this mess, yielding to the devil. It wasn't the devil's fault. In fact, this is the way when I, when I shared my testimony a lot, and I'm sharing a little bit this morning, because just to lay a little foundation here. But I always start out with the testimony, especially I used to share it in, in Dr. Hagen's meetings time after time, because he liked for me to do that. I would say that God didn't put me in prison, the devil didn't put me in prison, and the police authorities did not put me in prison. And that would shock everybody. Because people believe that's how you go to prison and jail. They believe that God put you there, the devil put you there, the police authorities put you there, the judge put you there, the court systems put you there. But that's not how I went. The reason I spent over 10 years of my life, almost 12 really, behind prison bars is because I was the one that made the wrong choices and wrong decisions that got me there. It wasn't God's fault. It wasn't the devil's fault. It wasn't the law enforcement officials' fault. Would you agree with that? Well, you're pretty quick to agree with me. <laughs> yes, amen. You sorry thing, you. But I wanted you to answer me that way because I was setting you up. Because you said that I was responsible for my actions and the outcome of my life. Well, I want to tell you something. You're responsible for your actions and the outcome of your life. You can't blame it on God. You can't blame it on the devil. You can't blame it on law enforcement. Can't blame it on mama. Can't blame it on daddy. Can't blame it on how you was raised or where you come from. Can't blame it on poor situations as a kid, being abandoned as a child. I mean, and all those things now have, have her place. Don't get me wrong and, and don't get mad at me. But if you don't watch it, the devil will take those things and lock you in a place that you'll never get out of the rest of your life. And he'll torment you the rest of your life and you may become a Christian, but you'll still live in torment. He'll torment your mind. He'll make you feel sorry for yourself. He'll make you think that you're nobody. You'll never go anywhere. You're never going to get out of this place that you're in. You're going to be here the rest of your life. That is a lie from the devil. That's a lie. Because he had me like that. He had my mind. I mean, and I come from a good family. But he had my mind. He totally took me over. He made me think that I was a nobody, a low-down scoundrel. And then, of course, my actions proved it because I would act them out over and over. Act them out. And that's why I wound up in prison, escaped three times, driving down the road in Galveston, Texas, when I had that supernatural encounter with the Lord. I've been on escape 11 months and some days, almost 12 months, the third escape. We was going to commit an armed robbery, myself and two other people. And again, the reason I shared this is not to gloat and glory in it. It's to let you know where I come from. And anybody can do it. 
And the devil is not going to dominate me. He's not going to control me. And he's not going to cause me to do anything that I do not want to do. He's not going to make you do it either. But we have to make that decision and we have to make that choice. So in that van, I was supposed to turn one direction to go to commit this robbery. But as I did, I was at this traffic signal. I was to turn onto Seawall Boulevard in uh, Galveston, Texas. Anybody know where Seawall Boulevard is? I got to get y'all out of the country a little bit more. <laughs> the reason they call it Seawall Boulevard, they're very creative. It's because there's a seawall between you and the Gulf of Mexico, and so they call the road Seawall Boulevard. <laughs> and it goes right down the south side of the island. Galveston is an island. The only way on and off is by bridge or by ferry. And that's it. It's, that's down there. And our air, airplane, you can fly in there. I flew up my airplane in there more than once. But anyway, Galveston, Texas. Instead of turning to go to uh, commit this robbery and do this wrong, well, I had people praying. And for some time, I had gotten disappointed in myself. Can I say that? Yes. In other words, I hated what I had become. And I no longer liked being a sinner. It was hard. It was a hard life. And I decided that I want to do something different. I don't know what to do. But I began to, I guess you could call it pray. I just, but I didn't know I was praying, you know. I just said, I wish somebody would help me, you know. I wouldn't really call on God or Jesus, you know. I was so far gone, I'd... You know, I didn't believe the Bible or nothing, you know. I wish I could get out of this. I mean, just had such a desire. See, if you have a desire for help, God will show up. Amen. And that's what happened to me. I didn't realize totally how I had gotten in the mess I did, but I got tired of living the way I was living. Because I would do things and commit crimes and do wrong that would be against other people and all kind of stuff. And then I would feel so bad about it, remorseful. Now, when I was high on drugs and alcohol, I mean, you know, I was out of my mind, so I didn't know. But I would have those experiences. And so I'd been going through that for several weeks. In fact, prior to this, I was in Baytown, Texas. Y'all know where Baytown is, right? <laughs> Y'all know, you know, you got to go down there Interstate 10, you know, and you turn, you go down that way, and then you get off and you turn and go that way. And then right over there, it's right up the road from Mickey Gillies, Mickey Gillies Club down there. Anybody know Mickey Gilly? Get your picture for the pastor. I mean, I, you better watch these folks. But it's right up the road from Mickey Gillies Club. I was setting this apartment. This is right before this experience. This, this is what I had been, had this, I don't know, it was in my heart. It was my spirit. It was my human spirit crying out. It wasn't out of my head, but I was tired of the lifestyle. And I was sitting in this chair, this uh, web, you know, these web uh, folding chairs you can sit in. I don't know if they make them anymore. Do they still make them? Anyway, it's like a chair you'd sit outside and sit down in or something on the patio with webbing in it. And of course, we, did, we had a lot of drug addicts in this apartment I was at in Baytown, Texas. This is just a, a week and a half prior to this experience that I'm telling you about having an experience with the Lord. I was sitting there 
with drugs and a fifth of whiskey in one hand, drugs in the other hand, and all these drug addicts are sitting around here smoking, shooting, and everything else, drinking, snorting, whatever you could do, they've done it and tried it another way. As I'm sitting in that chair and all these people around me, some of them half passed out, all of a sudden this feeling came on me. I, in other words, it was a physical feeling that I had. And I had this overwhelming urge to say some words. And I thought, these people, I think I'm crazy. I ain't going to say that. But this overwhelming urge. Then finally, I decided to, and I wasn't forced. I could have stopped myself. I just blurted right out loud to them uh, drug addicts. I said, I am going to be a preacher. Wow. <laughs> Fifth of whiskey in one hand. <laughs> Pills in the other hand. And it drew about the same response from them that I got from you. They laughed. They laughed. They laughed. It startled me. The Bible says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. For the first time in years, an awesome reverence and respect for God came on me because I knew something supernatural had happened. I knew it wasn't just a trip or something from drugs or alcohol. Well, I did go on a trip one time. We went to the moon one time in a Volkswagen in 1974. <laughs> You had to be there to understand it. <laughs> it, was a, it was a green, 74 VW Super Beetle Volkswagen. But we went to the moon. <laughs> All of us were totally convinced we were sitting on the moon. <laughs> we never thought about there not being any oxygen to breathe, you know. <laughs> but we was tripping out. But I had this overwhelming sense when that happened to me in that room. I knew this is beyond natural. And I'd been crying out. My spirit had been crying out to God because I had been yielding to all those devils, you know. So I just got up, set the whiskey bottle down, threw the drugs down. <clears throat> it was my apartment. I said, y'all get out of my apartment. Of course, a lot of them were passed out. They couldn't move. I said, I'm fixing to get out and leave. And I said, when I come back, I want y'all to be gone. So I got, had a vehicle out there. And I got in that vehicle and I just started driving. Just like a, a tiger in a cage at a circus would pace back and forth. That's the way I was. I didn't know what had happened. I wanted to call somebody to ask them what had happened. But I was con concerned about doing that because you know, they used to tap phones. It was landlines in those days, you know. Uh, tap phones and I, didn't, I, and I didn't know who to call because I'm going to escape from prison and they're looking for me. They're searching for me. And so I just would go back and forth driving down Interstate 10 which is down in the southern part of Texas where I was at. It goes across almost across the United States all the way. Not quite. Almost, you know. And, uh, and so I was drive, just go drive a little ways one way or a little ways, you know, and then I turn around and drive back next way and then finally about daybreak the next morning this happened during the night I went back to the apartment because everybody was gone. And I go in there. Well, I, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to get straight now, you know. So I went to bed. So I, I stayed up all night so I didn't wake up till later the next day. 
when I woke up, you know, I, I thought about it again, about what had happened and what I'd said. But then I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to, uh, I don't know about this. It's probably some kind of, you know, one of them pills I took or something, something I snorted or something I shot. You know, I, I just reasoned it off, you know, that it wasn't God. And of course, the devil helps you do that, you know. And so I, that's when I decided, well, you know, maybe this stuff ain't nothing. Next thing you know, I'm right back where I was. So it was about a week and a half later. I'm driving down to Galveston, Texas with two people, which is not far from Baytown, Texas, of course. And to commit this crime, I'm driving this van and, uh, and I'm supposed to go in one direction at this traffic signal to go to commit this crime. But suddenly, that same sense that I had in that room came on me but it was about a 10 times as strong. And then it came to my mind, if you turn in the direction that you're going to commit that crime, you will never return. And of course, that, that sobers you up, you know. Yes. And I thought, well, what, what does that mean? Am I going to get killed? You know, and I didn't want to die even though I was a crook, you know. <laughs> Crooks like to live. So I had this overwhelming urge not to go that way. It was so strong. It was a warning. Yes. Don't go that way. Yes, right. Now, I could have overrode it and turned and laughed about it and went on. But something just came over me so strong, I turned right. And when I made that right-hand turn in that van, I turned out on the Seawall Boulevard, and I was headed in a westerly direction down Seawall Boulevard. And as I began to drive along, all of a sudden, my past came up before me. Everything I'd ever done, you know, came up before me. And before I realized what I was doing, I was hardened, I was cold, I was cruel. You know, I wasn't very tenderhearted then, I can tell you that. But I started weeping and crying while I'm driving this van. And the people with me wondered what's wrong with me. They're hoodlums like I was, you know. So I got to where I couldn't see, so I just pulled over. There's a little roadside park there. And I just pulled over actually in the sand because it was a beachy area, you know, so on each side of the road there's sand. And I pulled over in that sand. And I just fell over that steering wheel. I don't know why I said it, but I said out of my mouth, I said, God, if you're really real, like they told me you was, I said, if you'll get my life out of the mess I've got it into, I said, I'll give it to you. I said, I'll serve you. And I began to weep and cry and sob. And the next thing you know, while I'm sitting there, I heard the, the door. I was driving a van. I heard this van door slide open and it slammed shut and somebody hollering. And I, I looked in the side Mirror, you know, where I could see to the right because I was leaning down over the shore and I looked in the side view mirror and the people that were in with me in that van had gotten out because they thought that I had lost my mind and they started hollering and pointing towards the van. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. And then they started jogging down the road backward back to, towards the back of the van. I've never seen or heard from them since that day. They left. 
God knows how to help you get away from the devil. <laughs> but that day in that van, I knew enough to believe in Jesus. I knew enough to confess Jesus as my Lord. I knew enough to call out on God for his help. And when I did, I had an experience. That's why I shared all of that to get to this. Where I saw, I, I, I can't describe exactly what, what they looked like, but I saw demons that I had been yielding to that were living in me come out of me and go right through that windshield. And it felt like 10,000 pounds came off of me. I had been so bound. All those bondages were broken. And I was totally set free in that van by the Spirit of God. So that was my first godly encounter with evil spirits. Now, I had known about these things in the past, you understand. But I had never had been delivered like that before in my life. All those spirits that I had opened my life up to were now gone and I was totally free. I was right with God. In fact, I was so right with God that I lost my human mind and got the mind of Christ. I turned myself into a police officer there in Galveston, Texas. No convict in their right mind does that on escape from prison. And went back to prison facing life without the possibility of parole, never come in free society again with my crimes and my records. But I went back with the assurance and faith that God had said, he said, if you'll turn your life over to me, I'll get out the message you've got it into and you will do what I called you to do. So I turned my life over to him that day and I said, God, I'll serve you. Lord, I'll do what you say. He said, turn yourself in. And I was reluctant. I'm not going to lie. I was reluctant in the natural because that's the last thing you want to do. You're facing life without parole. And I didn't want to go life without parole. I don't know if you have parole up here or not. You do? Anyway, you, you get out of prison after you commit a crime after a certain time, you know. And, uh, but anyway, down there on the charges that I was going to be charged on uh, in court, they had what they called the Habitual Offenders Act. And the Habitual Offenders Act was passed in the state that I had escaped from, and I fell under the guidelines of the Habitual Offenders Act. If you commit to three crimes of a certain category or rank, then immediately you got life without parole. Now, since then, that was when it was first instituted in the United States, way back yonder, you know. Uh, since then, they, they kind of eased the law a little bit because they didn't have a word to house everybody, you know. There was getting, a lot of people get life without parole for things that they should never get life without parole for, in my opinion. Even though, you know, stealing a toolbox would give you life without parole initially. Now, all that stuff has changed. And it has to be a much greater crime than something like that. And so, I went back. And to, to prison after turning myself in and went up before the judges, told the attorneys that I'm going to plead guilty to all these charges. And, uh, and they, they told me, you're out of your mind, but that's what the Lord had told me to do. He said, you go back and plead guilty to these charges. 
And the attorney that my parents had hired, because this is it, I'm going to prison for the rest of my life, told me, he said, son, he said, you cannot go up and plead guilty. I said, yes, I've got to plead guilty. He said, why do you have to plead guilty? I said, because I promised the Lord Jesus Christ in Galveston, Texas, that I would do what he told me to do. He said, son, you have lost your mind. He said, we're going to go to court and I'm going to plead you not guilty. He said, that is normal protocol in a court of law. I'm going to plead you not guilty. I said, no, sir. I said, if you plead me not guilty and you have me say I'm not guilty, then I'll be lying. And I said, it'll open my life up to them spirits again. And I said, I'm not going to get up there and tell that judge that I'm not guilty of those crimes when I know that I am. Now you do what you have to do. I'm not telling you to do what I did because that is normal protocol in normal courts of law. You know, and, and another thing, can, can I just give my little point of view here about this? They said in the United States, I don't know how they do it here, that you're innocent to proven guilty. Well, why do they arrest you then? <laughs> why do they put you in jail then? They don't believe that either. They believe your sorry scandal, you, you're guilty. We're arresting you. They say it to make it look good, but I say, hey, believe you're guilty. So here I am. And uh, I am uh, before this judge, and uh, my attorney got up when the judge, you know, called my name, they called my case number, the, the bailiff, they call it down there, they got a bailiff that reads the charges against you. That's a person that works for the court, you know, one of the, those that helps the judge. And he reads off all these charges. I mean, it doesn't look good. It doesn't sound good. Oh, my Lord. Oh, it doesn't sound good at all. In fact, while he was reading all the charges that I'm up before this judge for, I was thinking, I need to change my plea. <laughs> Even when my attorney says, I'm going to plead not guilty see if I can beat some of these things, you know? Because that's what I had done in times past. But I knew this time I had to come clean with God. Now, there's a truth in that most of the Christian world don't, don't understand. When you come clean with God, that means you live a life pleasing to God. Because if you continually leave, live a life that's not pleasing to God, then you'll kind of open yourself up to things from the devil that you shouldn't have in your life. He'll tempt you and he'll lead you in the wrong way. Now, he's merciful. If you did make a mistake, if you did do something wrong, he's merciful. He'll forgive you. Thank God for that. Or I wouldn't be here. <clears throat> so when I started reading all these charges out, I was going to change my mind. But then I realized that I'm going to just believe God. If I have to stay in prison the rest of my life, that's what I'll do. So you know that I've got a, a double dose of the Holy Ghost. Yes, I was out of my human mind and I was following the Spirit of God. I had the mind of Christ. And so the judge, when they, we got up and, and the, uh, <clears throat> he had a stand because I was pleading guilty. When you plead guilty in the United States, you have no jury trial. Do they have jury trials here? Yeah. You have no jury trial. In other words, you waive your right to a jury trial. And then the judge, at his discretion, has the authority to do whatever he sees fit in your case. Now, you have to relinquish your rights, because you do have those rights as a citizen of the United States, and you probably have them here in Canada, you know, to have a jury trial. So, <clears throat> when the judge called my name, you know, and, and, and the bailiff did, actually, and had us to stand... Because I'm pleading guilty. I mean, this, this is it. I mean, he's fixing to do something. 
And my parents would have been there, but they got the court date wrong. And they actually took me to court uh, one day early than what they told my parents. And, of course, the attorney didn't know it, but he lived in the same town. And, of course, I was in another state from where my parents were. So they didn't even, couldn't, couldn't be there. But anyway, they, they had to stand up. And, of course, reluctantly, my attorney stand, stood up. He said, Your Honor, you know, of course, the judge knew him. He said, Your Honor, he said, I've advised my client to plead guilty in, under this situation because the extenuating circumstances are that he is an habitual offender and that he will be given life without the possibility of parole in this situation. He said, I've advised him against doing what I'm about to do. And he said, you can question him. He said, my client, he's talking for me, I'm standing beside him, chooses to plead guilty to all charges. The judge could not believe what he was hearing. These things don't happen. So he stopped, called the district attorney who was over there, and then my attorney, the district attorney is the one that prosecutes you in the states that same way up here, called them up to the bench. He put his hand over the mic. You've seen that on TV, unless you've had the privilege of being there. <laughs> you don't have to. Because this, when he does that, that means it's off the record. In other words, stenographer just sitting over there typing. She don't type what he's saying because he don't tell her what he's going to say. So he don't want it on the record because he don't want it to go to appeals court, you know, and, and see this thing change. So anyway, it's off the record. And he starts interrogating them. The first thing I could hear him because I mean, I'm not very far for the arrow there. You know, he's, I was about that distance from where the judge was right here. So I'm, I could hear. And he looked at the district attorney. He said, have you promised this young man anything to bring guilty? And the said, no, Your Honor. He said, no, you wouldn't. He said, no, Your Honor. He said, I haven't promised him nothing. That's a prosecuting attorney. He said, I didn't even know. He said, until the attorney told me before this case here, before we come in here, that he's going to plead guilty. He said, he's been trying to talk him out of it. He said, are you sure? You ain't promised him nothing. You ain't coerced him. You ain't forced him. No, no, Your Honor. I haven't done that. So he's interrogating. So he looks at my lawyer. My lawyer. And he said, now, what did you tell him? Did you make him plead guilty to this to make it easier on you? Because you don't have to do nothing then. He just gets paid <laughs> and, and go home. Go fishing. <laughs> or go to Oasis one. Yeah, go, to, go to Oasis. <laughs> Get on the boat and float, you know. <laughs> See, just go to Oasis. He said, no, Your Honor. And it was solemn. I mean, they went back and forth and he would talk to the district attorney back and forth and I going through the whole story. But it was about 10 to 15 minutes. And then he uh, had, had them to go back. And of course, I'm still standing. And of course, there's a courtroom full of people out here because they're going to hear cases besides mine. And they got to, of course, choose a jury if you're going to have a jury trial. But I'm not because I'm going to plead guilty. So the judge questions me. He asked me, have you been promised anything to plead guilty by the district attorney? I said, no, Your Honor. He said, have you been coerced by the district attorney? I didn't know what the word meant. <laughs> Which is forced, you know, pressured by the district attorney to do this because he's threatened you with a death sentence or something like that because you wouldn't, you, I wasn't going to get nothing but life without probe, but you know, has he threatened you with it? No. 
So he goes on and asks me these other questions. And we finally, I'm just making it shorter as I can. I can make it longer, short, you know how I am. He said, what does all this mean? Just hang on. We're going somewhere one day. <laughs> I'm just following the Holy Ghost, believe it or not. That's all I'm doing. I didn't plan on saying this. I didn't pray this. I didn't see this. All I knew is when I stepped up here, this came on me. But it's going to help us in the long run. So I stood up there and this judge said, son, you haven't been forced, coerced, you know, nobody's done this, nobody's done that. Do you realize the ramifications of what you're doing by pleading guilty? Do you realize that you will get life without parole? And I would say, yes, sir. You know, yes, sir. Very politely. You always plied it in, in court, you know. <laughs> Don't make them mad. <laughs> yes, sir. So he still wasn't satisfied. He said, uh, be seated. So we sat down, you know. And he said, we're going to recess for 15 minutes. He said, he called the district attorney and he called my attorney. He said, come into my chambers. So I'm sitting there. Of course, you know, this is my, uh, I've already, I'm now being tried for my third escape plus other crimes. And so they had, uh, I had company around me, you could say. In the courtroom. <laughs> and they had guns, shackles, and handcuffs, you know. And they came over to where I was at. And so the, the judge went back in his chambers. And so when they came back out, I didn't know what in the world to expect, you know. And I was trying to read the face of the district attorney, the judge, and my attorney when they came back. And so the attorney had a solemn look on his face. And I thought, oh, my God, they're going to give me the electric chair. <laughs> They used to be have death by electrocution in the United States. I mean, they quit that, but it, it was now by lethal injection or whatever they do. But anyway, because it, it didn't look good. So my attorney seen me looking at him, and he would look at me in the eyes, and his eyes would dart away. And I thought, what's he doing, you know? He must know something. He knows they're going to give it to me. So when he finally got back, he's standing beside me. He's standing to my right. I'm standing to the left of my attorney, and the judge is still sitting down, you know, with his robe and all that stuff. And... And I'm looking at the district attorney over there, and he's still standing, you know. I said, what is it? He said, just be quiet. You might like it. I said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he said, son, he said, I've been back there in the law books. And what we have discovered under certain extenuating circumstances when an individual is pleading guilty to charges such as you have, then the judge has the sole discretion to set aside the Habitual Offenders Act if he chooses to. I didn't know it was on the books. And you know Pastor Craig didn't know. He wouldn't have pled guilty. I'll tell you the truth about it. <laughs> He wouldn't have pled guilty. <laughs> I didn't know. Wow. Under certain, he said, extenuating circumstances. What was extenuating? The Holy Ghost got a hold to him. The Spirit of God got a hold to him. It's the only thing that could happen. And then he said this. He said, I don't know why I'm going to do what I'm going to do, son. 
He said, it goes against everything that I've ever done in a court of law since I have been a judge. He said, but I'm going to set aside the Habitual Offenders Act. In this case, for the first time in me being a judge and the first time I've ever heard of in this state, I'm going to set it aside, but it's legal and it's in the books, the law books. And he said, I'm going to give you time on these charges, but I'm going to run them concurrent. In other words, they're not going to be stretched out. You do 12 years, 20 years, 50 years, all of them going to go together. And then he said, I'm going to combine it with the time that you've already served. By this time, tears running down my cheeks. Because <laughs> I wasn't an attorney. But I knew what he was saying was good. <laughs> and that day, God delivered me from life without parole in prison because I came clean with him. No devil could control me. I was honest. I was real. I wouldn't live in a false life anymore. I wouldn't come into church saying I was a Christian. <laughs> and then going out there and living like the devil. There's a place of cleanliness in the spirit that deliver you from every evil work of the devil. And that's what it did for me. So I was set free that day. Of course now, even though I didn't get any, all this time was like I told you, I won't go into all that story. I still had to go back to prison, you know. That don't mean I go home. But it was in prison. What time is it anyway? Lots of time. Can't listen to your pastors, you know. They'll... I'm joking. I am joking. <laughs> but I had to go back to prison. While I went back, could you imagine how much that I love God? Could you imagine how much I was sold out to God? Because I wanted God more than anything else in life. So I started a regiment of fasting and prayer. I didn't know how to do it back then. But uh, when I got out of prison, I weighed 165 pounds, <laughs> you know, soaking wet <laughs> in a croaker sack, <laughs> burlap bag, because <laughs> I didn't know, you know. And I'm not going to say what Dad Hagen would say. He said, them days are gone forever. <laughs> But I started seeking God, and it's not just the fasting, you know, or anything, but I started to seeking God. And one day, <clears throat> as I was seeking God, praying in the Spirit, sometimes six, seven, eight, nine hours a day. And I mean, no exaggeration, because I, I didn't have anything else to do. You could say time was on my side. It wasn't because I was just super spiritual. I, I mean, so why waste time? And the Scripture would come to me, redeem the time. Redeem the time. In other words, I got time to do this. Pray. Amen. Seek God. Redeem the time. 
So I'd walk that prison yard just praying, 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 praying. Eventually got elected as the uh, convict church pastor. That's what they used to call us back then. Now they call inmates and residents and things. But back then they called us convicts, you know. And uh, I became the pastor of the convict church. And it's probably about, you know, eight or ten of us. And that was it. Underneath the chaplain, of course, we had a chaplain for the free world. Free world is anybody. Like this morning, you're, you're living in the free world. Did you know you're free? <laughs> I don't let you know you're in the free world. You're not locked up behind bars. But anyway, I became the pastor. But of that, and our, our prison was just overcome by people that, you know, there was in there for murder. You know, one of my friends, you know, he was in there for chopping a, a, a girl, him and another man up with an axe. I mean, just, I mean, just, I mean, shooting people. I mean, killing, stabbing, cutting people's heads off. I mean, I, I was in that place, you know, hardened people. And so we wanted to see God move. And so I began to pray and seek God. And so one day, as I'm after months of praying this way, several months, you know, praying this way, maybe two months, two and a half right in there. All of a sudden, I begin to have this intuition, this inner knowing inside to say these words. I'm finally getting somewhere, you know. I had this unction to say, I cast out devils in Jesus' name. And I, I would just, every, you know, and I'm not saying I said it a thousand times a day, but I said it over and over and over and over, over and over and over. I cast out devils in Jesus' name. I cast out devils in Jesus' name. And, and I thought, what am I saying that for? I don't want no devil. I want Jesus. I cast out devils in Jesus' name. I cast out devils in Jesus' name. I cast out devils in Jesus' name. April the 5th, 1984. Y'all remember that, right? Out behind the B dorm. Y'all remember where that was? Out behind B dorm. You know, you had the fence that went around this way, and then you had the fence over there, and you had the guard towers with the guns and all that up there. Y'all remember where that was at, you know. I was out behind B dorm praying during chow time. They called it the chow hall. You might call it a cafeteria. Chow hall, but I had been fasting and praying. But April the 5th, 1984, I turned 30 years old that day. I don't have anything, I don't know if it had anything to do with age or not. I'm not saying it did. But I turned 30 years old. And suddenly, the Spirit of God came on me. Could you imagine that? The Spirit of God came on me out behind that prison. And when it came on me, I was so overcome by His Spirit that I couldn't stand on my feet. We call it being slain in the Spirit. So there was, this building was made out of blocks, decorative blocks, you know, walls. You've probably seen decorative blocks and buildings around in the area. But I just backed up against that wall and just slid down. There was a little old gallon bucket sitting there. That was our recliners in prison, you know, a gallon bucket. <laughs> they come out of the kitchen, you know, where they get the vegetables and the gallon buckets and pour them in the pot, you know. And so we'd talk them out of one of them. You know, not really supposed to give them to you, but the guards let us get away with it. And so I sit down on that recliner, that gallon bucket, and I heard these words. He said, I'm anointing you today to begin to enter into the ministry that I have called you to. And he said some other things that I won't go into. He said, I'm anointing you today. Well, I really didn't know what all that meant. But I made a discovery that I had a strong anointing that day to deal with demon spirits. Turn to Mark chapter 16. You finally got to a scripture. But it's your fault. 
You kept listening. You kept agging me on. But sometimes it's good to know some of these natural stories to introduce things. And since I'm going to be here for more than one service, you know, I can take some time to share some of these things. And I haven't shared uh, that experience in 10, 15 years. You know what I mean? It's not maybe even longer than that. But this is what the Lord wanted me to do this morning. Because there's help here for people. And it's not through me. It's not through what I can do as an individual, but it's through the anointing that's on my life. But in, in Mark chapter 16, how much time we got, you said? There's no <laughs> You want me to listen to y'all? <laughs> can I believe what you're saying? You wouldn't lie to me, would you? You're coming clean, right? You're coming clean. <laughs> In verse 15 of Mark 16, he said unto them, Jesus said, this is after he's risen from the dead, and he's, of course, going to be taken to heaven. He said, go ye in all the world and preach the gospel. What gospel he wanted to preach? The gospel of the kingdom of God. In fact, he told him to preach the kingdom of God wherever he went. Kingdom of God would bring deliverance from the world's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. He said, preach the gospel to every creature. He says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. It says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. What is the first sign that Jesus said would follow those that believe? In my name shall they what? Cast out devils. In other words, they will have total dominion and authority over every devil and demon. I don't have authority over the devil in and of myself, but because I'm in Christ and Christ is in me, then Christ has delegated to me and to you the authority to deal with every demon, every evil spirit that there is, and they have no power over us. And because a lot of the church world doesn't understand this, especially in America, United States, well, we're in America now. We're on the North American continent, you know, even here. And that's what I tried to explain to my mama, you know. We're still in America, even though you call it Canada. We're in America, even though they call it the United States. We're in the North American continent. You got Central America, and then you got South America. See, I did go to school. So when you say America, you have to say it the right way where people understand it. We're on the American continent. That's what we are here. That's what we are. We're part of this thing, you know. Sasquatch lives right down the road because I, I, I seen it on TV. He's over there. <laughs> I think he's in the woods behind Pastor's house out there. <laughs> so, well, he's down there in Tulsa too. Yeah, he's got frequent flyer miles. He can, he can get around, you know. But it says here, that he that believeth is baptized shall be saved, verse 16, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So the first sign that it says that will happen to those that believe is they will cast out devils. 
So everybody has the authority to deal with the devil and resist the devil. But there's also an anointing that you can receive to deal with devils and evil spirits. And that's exactly what happened to me out behind that prison. If you you study Dr. Summerall's ministry, he had great, uh, 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 actually, experiences in dealing with the devil. I mean, where people were totally set free and countries were changed. Remember in the Philippines, that demon was... Biting that girl, scratching that girl, doing everything over that girl, and nobody could help her, and he went up there and cast that thing out of her over, over time, you know. And then Reverend Norval Hayes, you know, he's one. And I know Dr. Dufresne, first time I ever saw him, it was at the Congress Center in Atlanta, Georgia, my brother and I had went up there. You know, we're just hungry for God. And this is around 84, 85, right in there. And I didn't know who Dr. Dufresne was at the time. All I knew, they said the prophet was coming and we wanted to go, you know. So we went up there and we were sitting in this theater that kind of went up like this and it had theater type chairs, you know. It wasn't a theater really, but it had theater seating. And he was walking along talking, you know, and we're sitting about eight rows back on one of these sections because it had several sections in this place. And then all of a sudden as he's walking and talking, he just jumped up and started running and started hopping over seats. And he was coming straight toward my brother and I were, and we was getting ready to run. <laughs> we did we didn't know what had happened. And about the fifth row, when he got there, he was standing in his seat. He grabbed this lady by the hair of the head and he said, come out of her, you lying devil. <laughs> Listen, don't make me come back there now. <laughs> of course, I'm not even sure at the moment he realized what he had done until it was after. You know what I mean? But it, he had authority over devils, I can tell you. And that don't mean you got to jump the seats to deal with them, you know. But, you know, it's just according to what happens. So you can see that people have anointings to deal with them, but every Christian has the ability to deal with evil spirits and demons because they're here. Now, the thought would arise, where did these demons come from and where are they? Now, if I knew the answer to that, then I would be as intelligent as your pastors. (laughs) But because I don't know the answer, I can give you some ideas you know about it. Some believe that they're disembodied spirits from the pre-Adamic race. Now, whether they are or not, I do not know. I'm not dogmatic about it. And as Brother Hagin would say, I'm not even pupmatic about it. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I kind of believe some things that I, you know, I don't have chapter and verse for, so this is me talking, okay? Yes. But uh, I believe that, that evil spirits are they wouldn't humans like us, but I believe they're persons without a body. Now that's, that's one way to look at it. Persons have personalities. So that's why you've got unclean spirits and you, you go down and just find different spirits and about 30 different kinds in the Bible that it, the Bible references. But each one of them has a personality. And now we are human beings, but we have a body. We have a spirit, we possess a soul, we live in a physical body. But evil spirits do not have a a, a spirit so they can function in the physical material world. So their greatest desire is to function, their longing is to function in the physical world and express themselves in the physical world. And so that's why spirits seek to uh, get into people and not necessarily possess them, but influence them to do things and say things wrong. That don't mean you're possessed. But evil spirits will do that. 
They will come into your mind. They'll whisper things to your mind because they want to express themselves in the physical world that we live in. Some believe that, that evil spirits are, are, are uh, fallen angels. Well, Brother Hagin believed it this way, and I kind of tend to agree with this. Now, I don't know. And I, again, I'm not dogmatic about it, not even pupmatic about it. But it says that the angels that fail are reserved and changed till the, the day of judgment comes, you know. So, but I know that, uh, I think Brother Summerall kind of believed that they were. Isn't that right? And they, you know, and they may be. I don't know as far as that goes. All I know is they're here. So where they came from, in a sense, is not real, real important to us. What's important, so we don't want to get to stuck on where they came from, how they got here, how many of them can sit on the head of a pen. <laughs> They used to argue about that stuff. You know, I mean. You know, like I go into cities sometimes and I can pretty well tell what's in there, what's ruling over there. I see these big spiraling build, uh, you know, uh, buildings and I wonder how many demons is hanging off that tower up there. <laughs> you can't pay no attention to me. But Spirits rule in areas. They try to take advantage of people. They try to take advantage of Christians. They do. So he said here that these, the first sign that will follow the believer is in my name they shall cast out devils. In other words, in the name of Jesus, as a representative of Jesus Christ, I have authority and you have authority. But some people have an anointing to deal with things like this on a little higher level because they've received a special anointing you know, to do with that, and, and that is possible. So turn to Ephesians chapter 6. All right, you better hang on. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. He said, finally, my brethren, we're going to throw the sisterins in too. <laughs> because what he's talking about here is brethren. He's talking about those that have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and are born again. That's what he's talking about. He said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Notice he didn't say be strong in you, but you be strong in what the power of the Lord will do for you and through you and the power of his might. He said, put on the whole armor of God, which represents protection for us, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, if the devil didn't exist and evil spirits didn't exist, why did he tell us to put on the armor of God that we'd be able to stand against them? We have to do something to stand against them through Christ. Verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In other words, we're not necessarily wrestling with human beings. That's what it's talking about. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Notice, he did not say that we do not wrestle. He just said that we don't wrestle against human beings. We, we, we wrestle with beings that have no body. And they're trying to express themselves and to influence somebody, a human being, so they can express themselves through that individual. Because it has no body, no way. It's a personality. 
And if it possesses a person, it, in, a lot of times in the Spirit, talk about an unclean spirit. But when you study that out, think about 32 times in the New Testament, it talks about unclean spirits. But unclean, a lot of times we, we mostly relate it to sexual things. But it could be anything that's not related to godly good things. It could be anything related to that. Even your tongue could be unclean. Brother Randy, you shouldn't have said that. I was fine until you got in here about that. But even your tongue could be unclean. And that don't mean you're not born again. He said, wherefore, because of what he just told you, wherefore, which means because of what I just told you, taking to you the whole armor of God, that I may be able to withstand, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to what? Stand. So he told us to stand. Isn't that right? So let's turn back and look at another passage of Scripture here in the book of uh, Matthew. Because I hadn't read any Scripture, so I, mean, I needed to give you several. Isn't that right? Because I was just telling about up to a point of what happened to me. And how I had yielded to these spirits and how that they had controlled me and dominated me. But it says here in the... Uh, let me see, verse number 22 of Matthew 12. Said, Then was brought unto him, Jesus, one that was possessed with a, with a devil. In other words, an evil spirit, a demon spirit. Devil, demon, evil spirit. And this one that was possessed was what? Blind and dumb. He was what? Blind and dumb. So there are evil spirits that make people blind and there are evil spirits that make people dumb. And until they're cast out, they don't need healing, they need the spirit cast out. And that doesn't necessarily mean they are possessed by it. You understand? It don't mean they're possessed. There's a difference somebody being totally possessed at all. But this here, it says this man was possessed. With a devil. In other words, an evil spirit was in this man. What is an evil spirit? It is a personality that does not have its bo uh, human body or a body, so it cannot express itself in the physical world. So the way it expressed itself through this human being is it made them blind and it made them dumb. I believe there were two separate spirits. Because they, they, they run in kind of packs or herds. You know what I mean? One gets in and takes over, then the other one gets in. And listen, we don't have to fear anything or, or nothing like that, so don't get in fear. And we're not magnifying the devil. We're exposing him. That's what we're doing. He was blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind did what? The dumb both spake and he saw. So when he healed him, it means that Jesus cast him out. You understand? Come out of him. That's what he did. Now, we think healing, we think of just laying somebody and saying, Lord, heal this man. So he cast this demon, this dumb spirit, and this blind spirit out of this man to the point when he cast out the dumb that was dumb that could not speak and could not see, he said he both spoke and he saw. And all the people were amazed. And said, is not this the son of David? When the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. In other words, they're challenging Jesus and his authority to deal with these evil spirits. And Jesus knew their thoughts. 
It's amazing. Jesus knows our thoughts too. And he said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. He said, If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? The word Satan's not out tearing down his own kingdom. And he said, If I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. He said, but if I cast out devils by what? The Spirit of God, and that's what we do, then the kingdom of God, because Jesus went preaching the kingdom, is coming to you. Lord, you're delivered from the kingdom of darkness and you're brought into the kingdom of God. Or how else can one enter to a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. Turn over, here I turn over in my Bible, verse 43 of Matthew 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. The Bible says, when the unclean, notice it says unclean. Anytime that an evil spirit comes to influence us, he always tries to make us unclean and unholy and impure. And again, this word a lot of times is equated only with sexual sin. And I'm not going real far. It's equated with that, but that's not just what this means. You could have unclean eyes, you could have unclean ears, you could have unclean motives. You understand? Which means impure. Impure. You could say things with your tongue that you shouldn't say that wouldn't be pure. You were shouting a while ago. I don't know what happened to the shout. And we're, again, I, I, want, I want to make this very clear. I'm not here to make you afraid of any devil or demon. But I don't want you to be unwise when it comes to these things. Because the church world as a whole, we kind of shy away from these and understand because many people, you know, become granola Christians. What is that? Fruits, nuts, and flakes. (laughs) I didn't come up with that. Reverend Charles Capps did. And I just borrowed it from him. Because you get to talking about these and people, oh, this, I got a demon. You know, a lot of people, oh Lord, here we go. Are you ready for this? What a lot of the people, what a lot of people, Christian people, good Christian people, and you're good Christian people, so I'm not saying it's you, it's for them that didn't come today. But, but anyway, <laughs> I, I'm joking, I'm joking for those of you that are watching. A lot of them, you know, that claim to have the gifts of the Spirit and examine somebody's life, find out it's not the gifts of the Spirit. It's the gift of fault finding. That's right. That's right. They begin, to, oh, he ain't right. Amen. She ain't right. They didn't do that. Listen, you know what happens? The devil will put them thoughts into your mind. Yes. And he'll try to separate you from your brothers and sisters. Yes, In fact, I'll tell you what's going to happen. If you want me to tell you what's going to happen, I'm just beating around the bush. Yes. The devil is not going to split this church. I'm here to tell you that. Amen. Because he's been out, this is a demon running around influencing people negatively about this church and about these pastors and about because of all this doggone COVID going on. Don't make me come out there. My God, I'm telling you the truth about it. It's the enemy doing this. It's the enemy doing it. Don't yield to the devil. Don't let him get your tongue. 
because he can make your tongue unclean. And you can speak things. And if you yield to him long enough and do that long enough, uh, he'll begin to dominate your life. I'm not talking about be possessed. I ain't talking about that. Because no Christian could ever be possessed. But he can oppress people. He can oppress. But the way that you stay away from the oppression of the enemy is not yield to him whatsoever. How do you know whether yielding to the devil or not? Go by what the word says. Is what I'm about to say agree with the Bible? If it doesn't, don't say it. If it does agree with the Bible, say what the Bible says. Don't say things, don't do things that don't agree with the Bible. Is that all right? So the enemy is not going to split this church over no COVID or anything like that. You understand that? And for those that couldn't be here this morning, I, I say the same thing to them. He's not going to do it. Because this church has got work to do. And there's nothing that the enemy would love to do more than to tear this thing all to pieces. But I got news for you. One greater than he has come. And his name is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And he's not going to tear this thing apart. He's not going to split it apart. He's not going to get us at odds with one another. Now you may wonder, since you done got me over here, you done done it, you agged me on, here we go. The COVID shot. Because I get, I get contacts in my office about getting the COVID shot. You know, should I get the COVID shot or not? See, I'm no expert on this and all this stuff and, and, or nothing, but you know, if you get the COVID shot, you get horns, you grow feathers and you fly. You know, and all, listen, I mean, but you know, some of my Christian friends, they are really into this, you know. But you know, if I wanted to come see you, I had to get the COVID shot. They would not let me into Canada. You know, the customs agent checked me at the border. I got interrogated. I started to call pastor, but I thought they'd put him in jail too. <laughs> he don't have a background like I got. But the Lord gave me wisdom about how to cross the border. He did. Or I wouldn't be here this morning. But if I did not get the COVID shot, I couldn't be here. I couldn't come. I couldn't travel. I couldn't even go to my country. Oh, you know what I mean? United States. Because you have to show that you're, uh, what you call it, inoculated, vaccinated, hesitated, or meditated, or something. You got to... So... And listen, and, and, and like probably pastor has taught us all, there's probably legitimate concerns among people and I'm not belittling that. I'm just telling you my experience. Yes, so it's either that I did not take it and limit what I could do legally unless I escaped again <laughs> and I didn't want to be on the run all the rest of my life. You know, at all. So what I did, can, they, you, can I tell you what I did? Yes. I decided I'm going to get in faith about this thing. Come on. This thing, hey, we read in Matthew 6, Mark 16, they can drink any deadly thing and it shall not hurt them. Now, that don't mean I'm purposely going to drink poison, but that's what it's talking about. You don't go out and get you a bottle of strychnine or something and drink it today. But I said, my God. If they can drink any deadly thing, and I said, hey, if this shot's deadly, it ain't gonna hurt me, my God. 
And I'm not belittling anybody. I'm just trying to help somebody's faith. Shoot. That's the country word, shoot. Shoot. I got one shot, then I got another shot. Then I got a booster shot. I got boosted. I've been boosted. I'm telling you, I've been boosted. And I took every one of them in faith. That thing ain't going to hurt me. But you know, and the way the Lord kind of dealt with me about it, everything you take in the medicine world has some kind of bad side effects. You know, when you go in for surgery, I don't know, do you have to sign papers here for surgery? Down there, what you basically do is you sign a piece of paper. If we key, it's all right. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. You sign that paper. Everything has side effects, even surgery. Listen, I had to have surgery one time and they took me in there and they put me in this robot done surgery. Robot, the Lord told me to do it. The Lord told me to have the surgery. I said, the Lord told me to have surgery. <laughs> then I got in there and said, this robot was sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> da Vinci 11 or something they call it. <laughs> and I look back at it. I mean, I'm wide awake too. <laughs> Going into the surgery room. They have that thing up here? I'm sure they do, yeah. Y'all pretty advanced in all this stuff, you know. They probably need two of them things to work on some of y'all. <laughs> But I went in that room and I looked around. I mean, I'm, I mean, they ain't had me drugged up or nothing. I'm going in there where all this stuff is at. Oh my Lord. And I see that and I thought, oh, that thing ain't gonna grab me. <laughs> and then they said, you know, I had eaten a lot of biscuits, you know. <laughs> I've tried to cut back, but these little nurses, they're little bitty things, you know, little bitty things. And they said, uh, Mr. Greer, could you slide off of that table? <laughs> Normally this whoop pow throw you down, you know? But I wouldn't know who pow kind of guy, you know? <laughs> Can you slide over this? They wanted me to get on the operating table by myself. So I just, you know, jumped up kind of a little bit on that bed and hopped over. Next thing you know, kaboom, that thing collapsed. <laughs> went to surgery in faith, my God, in faith. <laughs> Jesus told Dad Hagen one time to tell Mom Hagen to have surgery and they cut her throat wide open. You follow the Holy Ghost, you know. That's what you do, follow the Holy Ghost, even in this shot stuff, you know. But uh, they said, well, can you get back up here on this other table? Oh, we're sorry, Mr. Greer. They hadn't locked it like it should. They weren't ready for what they was about to receive on that table. <laughs> I grabbed that thing, you know, because it didn't fall all the way to the floor. I grabbed it enough to get me a bowl and crawl back up on that other thing and they finally get it. I said, now get back over here. And I thought, oh my God. <laughs> then she put this mask on my face, this pretty little nurse, you know, and she said, uh, uh, Mr. Greer, count to 10. Say 10. I said 10, boom, and that was it. I didn't even know. <laughs> it was it. I don't know what she did, but she knocked me out. 
But I said that to say this. The fear that can grip you about what you hear can dominate your life. I chose to go to the Word of God and found out what God's Word says. Because there's all kind of opinions out there. Hey, listen, I'm not saying that there may not be some truth to these things. But everything out there, like I said, even the aspirin, you read the bottle. If you read the bottle, you say, oh, my Lord. And what could happen? A side effect. So I just realized if they can drink any deadly thing and it shall not hurt them, I'm just going to take this stuff in faith. Or I won't have to escape my country and come to Canada. I could come legally. And so I did. I took, I took three. They gave me, and the reason I'd done, I'd done the three, too, is, is because I didn't want to, to be stopped at the border and say, no, you can't come. So I got shot up for you guys. That's what. <laughs> but I'll be honest, when I got them, I didn't even know I had them. They'd tell them, well, Mr. Greer, you can go now. I said, well, I got to get shot. Well, you got it. Get out of here. <laughs> But what the enemy tries to do is he tries to get us in fear about things. You know what I mean? But what we have to do is we have to get into the Word of God and we have to believe what the Word of God says. Now, we don't want to yield to any kind of evil spirits or whatever because they're here to influence us in a negative way. They're here to influence us to say and do things that we should not say and things that we should not do. And it doesn't mean that a person is possessed. A Christian cannot be possessed with a devil. They can be oppressed, but not possessed. You understand? In other words, the devil gets into their mind and causes them to think all kinds of things. And now listen, I've been there even as a Christian. I've been there where the devil would influence my mind and try to make me think things that are negative, things that are wrong, and, and all kinds of stuff. If you're a child of God, the enemy don't want you to serve God. But we have authority over the devil in the name of Jesus. Now, we never read this scripture, what we was trying to, remember? And there's no way I can finish right now because we'd be here till uh, the millennium. So. But anyway, we got started. Verse 43 says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, notice Jesus called it unclean spirit. When he says unclean, what he's talking about here, unclean spirit, he's talking about evil spirits, demon spirits that come from the satanic kingdom. These spirits, they make a person unclean in different ways. You know what I mean? And again, it's not just related to sex or nothing because a lot of people think of it that way, which it does include that. Uh, you know, pornography. I mean, a lot of things. I mean, other things that I'll not say. But anyway, it includes a lot of that. And the enemy will try to influence us. But he called it an unclean spirit. When the unclean spirit, and, and what's uh, noticeable about this, he didn't call out just all the different names. There's about 30 different names of spirits. If you go through the Bible, you'll find about 30 different ones at list, which is not important to know all that. Don't get me wrong. But uh, he called it and categorized them under one name, unclean. In other words, this, anything that comes into your life that makes you not be like the Word of God wants you to be, say or do things like the Word of God don't want you to say, then that's considered to be unclean, regardless of what realm that it's in. Whether it's in your mental realm, in your mind, and it, it can be tormenting. It really can. It can be tormenting. 
And it can cause you to do things and say things even as a Christian, even as a Christian. And again, you don't have to fear this. Again, the reason we talk about it is to make you aware of it. So you can just say no to the devil in the name of Jesus, which we're going to do here in just a few minutes. If that's all right with you. We're going to deal with these issues and I don't have to lay any hands on anybody to do it. Because you've got authority. I'm going to lead you in some things and I'm not saying that anybody in here has got a devil. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm not even saying you are influenced by it. I'm just saying that they are there and they will try to influence you as a Christian. That don't mean that you're on your way to hell. But there's evil spirits that want to influence you in a negative way and get you to say and do things even to the point of trying to use you to try to destroy and split the church. There is. There's evil spirits. That, that comes, anything like that, that comes to kill, steal, or destroy is from the devil. Jesus said, I've come to have life and ha that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Not kill, steal, and destroy. So anything that tears down, anything that destroys, anything that hurts is not from God. And so we don't want to yield to anything hurtful with words or with actions or methods of any kind. We don't want to do that. And I'm glad you're excited about it. Oh, you were shouting a while ago. But notice when the unclean spirit, now again, he's taking all evil spirits and category them as unclean. That's what Jesus, Jesus is doing this, not me. And unclean, in a sense, means not acceptable to God. That's what this is talking about. Not acceptable to God. It's not of the kingdom of God, unclean. And it's not holy. It's not pure. It is impure. To some degree. And there's different degrees of it that we'll not get into right now. For the unclean spirit is gone out of a man. He walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. I heard the women, pastor. said, notice, he said a man. So they can't bother me. <laughs> I knew there was something wrong with that man. I knew it was, I knew it was him. I knew, I knew he had something. I'm telling you. He's talking about the human race. That's what he's talking about. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and findeth none. Notice something before you think I'm crazy. This spirit is doing what? Walking. Walking like, like, like this. The spirit is disembodied. It don't have a physical body, but it can walk. It says it did. See, you, every time you think of an uh, evil spirit, you think of Casper the Friendly Ghost <laughs> floating around in the clouds. No. See, this thing walks. It walks. Say, so, well, how do, can they get somewhere quick? That ain't my job. All I know is it says right here that they walk. So they have a form and a spiritual body, but they don't have no physical body. They cannot express themselves in the physical world. So they seek to embody someone that has a physical body so they can express themselves, even hogs or pigs. Remember? Yes. Jesus, when that spirits came out of that man, he said, let us go into the pigs. And they didn't. The pigs were down and drowned themselves. Isn't that right? Yes. Isn't that right? Yes. So they were seeking to express themselves to them hogs. Them hogs, them pigs... We're in such torment from these evil spirits that they didn't even want to live in that condition. They would rather die 
And they jumped in the water and drowned. Because they would not live under that torment. Isn't that in the Bible? It is. So they seek to embody. See, they wanted to embody something. What they want to embody is humans. You know what I mean? What I'm saying, body. They want to express themselves. Well, when they couldn't go in, Jesus said, you can't, you got to come out of him. He said, let us go into the pigs. Jesus said, go ahead. Right? So why do that? Well, they didn't eat pigs. (laughs) But when the unclean spirit has gone out of a minute, again, he's categorizing all evil spirits, demonic forces as unclean. Unclean means impure. It's not holy. These things that these people are, uh, things want you to do is do things that's not pure towards God, it's unholy, and it doesn't agree with God's word. He said he walketh through dry places. He's walking, that's what it says, seeking rest and findeth none. Then he says, I'm going to walk back over yonder. I'm adding that. I'm going to return to my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, what does he do? He finds it empty, swept, and garnished. In other words, this, this man's already been set free. And because this man hasn't put up a blockade to this demon and that decided I'm not going to yield to this thing anymore, then verse 45 says, Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Notice here, not only does he go, he takes seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Now they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. It says, Even so shall it also be unto this wicked generation. Notice he said, this one spirit taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Why would you think that would happen? Well, this is my experience. And again, I don't have Bible for it. You, you know, I'm not puppetic, dogmatic or nothing about it. But I believe that the reason that this spirit took other spirits, because it gave them more power against the individual's will. What they do is they seek to break down the human will. And weaken them. And so he had been thrown out before by himself. He said, I'm going to take me some, some team with me this time. It's not going to be as easy to throw me out as it was before because we're going to gather up against this individual. But again, I can tell you this, this spirit could not come back to this man if this man had stood his ground and stood on the word of God. These things would never come. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. Jesus said he gave his keys to the kingdom of God. And what have we bind on earth? is bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on this earth is loosed in heaven. Isn't that right? Whatever we bind, whatever we loose. So what I'd like to do, if it's okay, is lead you in a prayer. Is that all right? That may seem strange, which I'm going to lead you in, but you just, if you'll follow me, you'll, you'll get results if you need it. Let's stand to our feet. And there are some truths that I didn't get into that we need to understand, but we're, we're dealing with demonic force. And that don't mean anybody in here has a spirit or nothing. I'm just saying, we're just going to insulate ourselves today. Isn't that right? And we're going to let the devil know that he's not going to dominate us. He's not going to work on us. He's not going to destroy our church. Right? He's not going to destroy what God is doing. He's not going to harm us as individuals. Isn't that right? And we're going to see this thing changed. So there are certain things we need to know. You know, one of the things we need to know is that, uh, you know, if you've got unforgiveness against someone in your life, you need to get rid of that. And I'm not saying you do. 
But if you're holding a grudge against somebody, you're mad at somebody, and you, you know, you, you need to get rid of that. Because that opens the door. If you're mad at the pastor, or mad at uh, Sister Susie, or Brother Errol, <laughs> as sweet as Brother Errol is, you know, or anybody. I know Brother Taylor. I mean, my God, I know that. But uh, any of that kind of stuff, just in forgiveness, un- unforgiveness, don't, don't let it be there. Uh, if, you know, if you got something against your mom and daddy, you're mad at them or something, forget, get, get rid of that too. Somebody that harmed you, done you wrong, whatever, just, just you know, put it under the blood. And be sincere. L- listen, too, when you're, when you're asking and, and forgiving people, it is not an emotional thing. It's a spiritual experience. Whether you have an emotion about it or not, it doesn't matter. In other words, you just do it. Isn't that right? And of course, then we acknowledge what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because when he shed his blood on that cross and died and rose again, he gave us total victory over every devil and demon. Isn't that right? Over everything. And through that, then now we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And there's other things, but that's just something simple. So just, just pray this. Just bow your heads. Let your heart agree with it. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe your word. In the name of Jesus, I forgive anybody that's ever offended me. I hold no grudges against anybody. I'm no longer angry, disappointed, or upset in the name of Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Shedding your blood for me. Thank you that you rose from the dead. And now I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That means I have no guilt, no shame, no condemnation for anything in my past. I'm free from that by the blood of Jesus. Now, I renounce Satan and every evil spirit in Jesus' name. And I command you to go in the name of Jesus Christ. You'll not dominate. You'll not control. And neither will I yield to you in my life. In the name of Jesus, I've been totally set free. I have the victory today. Right now, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that blood. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood that has set me free. Thank you, Lord, that you've risen from the dead. And I have victory in every area of my body. Total healing from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. In Jesus' name, I am healed. You have no dominion over me, devil. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank him now. Thank him right now. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we got the victory. Thank you, Lord, that it's ours right now. Thank you, Lord. We got victory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will not control. It does not dominate. We got your victory. Thank you for your victory. Thank you for your victory in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for that blood, Lord. Thank you for everything that you've done.
thank you that you set us free in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for it, Father. Thank you for it, Father. Now, see, you got, you got total victory. You always have. But total victory. And you are clean in every area. Nothing can dominate you nor control you from this day forward. So, Brother Randy, I didn't have this kind of experience or that kind of experience. We're not looking for experiences. We're looking for victory. 